Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, recently uh, we had a Bible quiz tournament, if you all didn't hear that, this past weekend, Friday and Saturday. And uh, my wife was coaching the juniors and picked up on... Junior parents are always very exciting. They're usually newer parents. Uh, Typical junior parents don't have... uh, Some of them are seasoned where they have had kids that are already into seniors and spent a few years. But a lot of times they're newer and uh, junior parents get very excited. They love the game. They want to win. They start motivating their kids and all that kind of stuff. And my wife picked up on something. I don't know what she picked up on. But late Friday night, she's sitting up in bed, tackety, 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 tack, typing an email. And I look over and I'm like, my Lord, because my wife is very brief. She wrote a Pauline epistle. I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, dear? She's like, I got a lot to say. I'm like, my goodness. I said, I'm the one that's normally writing the long Pauline epistles. I said, Paul, you're taking Paul on for this. So anyway, it was funny listening to folks' response to that because my wife does not yell a whole lot. She doesn't shout a whole lot. She doesn't make a whole lot of noise. So whenever she writes something, you all pay attention. And I appreciate that. I really do. Me, I yell all the time. I make lots of noise. You know, it's like you, you, you kind of tune out. And uh, if you, if you and, and you should, you shouldn't worry too much about all my noise and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you've got to learn that. Now, when I go quiet, that's when you better tune in. So have you noticed that I've gone quiet? So let me talk to you for just a moment. Uh, before I turn to the word of the Lord about prayer service. Um, It's interesting. Prayer is culturally affected because prayer is communication from us to God and from God to us. So how we speak culturally and how we listen culturally affects what prayer looks like. Now, I'm looking forward to the day that whoever succeeds me gets to ride this tiger of people coming from all different kinds of backgrounds and different cultures and different kinds of things. And so our challenge is, is when it comes to corporate prayer, now your private prayer, you get to make it whatever you want. If you're the quiet type that sits out early in the morning, has a cup of coffee, journals in their book, and communes with nature, God bless you. If you're somebody who... You get into your prayer closet, and the doors and the windows of that closet reverberate with the resounding voice that you lift to the Lord. God bless you. I'm just not rooming with you on any trips. (laughs) If you're somebody who prays late at night, and the various ways in which that can happen, you and I will probably get along a lot better. I've already made my little quip about Jesus being a night prayer. Um. So your private prayer is one that gets to completely reflect you. 100% gets to reflect you. The only people you got to deal with is is, is the ones in your household. If you're causing them trouble, um, then you got to deal with them, okay? But when it comes to corporate prayer, we have to balance two things. Number one, we have to create an atmosphere that allows others to be able to commune with God, to both communicate to God and to receive communication from God. And, uh, and there are a lot of ways in which that can get messed up. Uh, I had one person, and I've seen this many, many times, describe how prayer services, they were very glad that our prayer services were not like this, that 
almost like the Corinthian church, that from one corner comes the shouting voice of another and another person across the church is praying, and it seems like they're almost trying to pray over each other. And, and, and there's a lot of Pentecostal churches that you can go and prayer services are exactly that. And, uh, and frankly, I used to go to prayer services with my dad, and dad did pray out loud a lot more than I did, and I hated it because he distracted me. I didn't, I didn't like it, okay? It bothered me. And dad was not a loud prayer, unlike my good friend, Brother Seth. If you want to hear a loud prayer, Brother Stan can bring the house down. And he did that one time on a quiz trip at 5.30 in the morning. Bless God, that, that, that caused me to love my brother with a love I had not known before. Because I, 5.30 in the morning is not my friend. That's in the, that is the safe zone that I am either direction, I'm asleep. Coming to bed, I've already gone to bed. Getting up, I've not got up. That's my safe zone, promise you. And uh, so, there, so we have to find a way within corporate prayer because there is something about corporate prayer that's different than personal prayer. I have a hard time putting my finger on it. I have a hard time describing it. I have a hard time making it clear what it is, but there is something to it. And so even though I can't completely describe it, I know that it's important. I know that it's valuable. All right. And so we've tried to make a welcoming environment, an environment where you have the space, you're not pressured to be something that you're not. But at the same time, we have grown into a tendency that we are not, and the further along in prayer service we go, the worse it gets. We are not being aware that we could be distracting our brothers and our sisters. All right. And it's a mix of things. It's a mix of those who talk loud and don't know it. And some of you are, it's because you're getting older, just being blunt with you. You don't know you're talking as loud as you're talking, okay? And you'll notice my eyes are moving and I'm staying up because I'm not pinpointing anybody, but there's several of you, all right, that you're talking loud. Others of you have a deep, rumbly voice. I don't think my father-in-law can whisper. It, I, I don't understand that because I can whisper. You come up into this voice, but he seems to not think he can do that, okay? So, Here's what I'm asking you to do, to make the environment. That's why we have music playing, but in some ways that you might have to actually, some of you speak up over top of that, and then that defeats the purpose. So if you have, there are things that happen. There are business that needs to be transacted. I would prefer you handle all that after church. We are very punctual about having you out at about 7.30. In fact, the only person that ever breaks that number is me, and I do it very, very rarely. Okay? So... Deal with things after church. However, there are things. This is an active church. A lot is going on, a lot of moving parts. And so if there's something that you need to connect, perhaps with staff or staff's got to deal with something, I'm going to ask you that you take it out into the lobby. Now, if we get all of you out in the lobby and none of you in here, that'll be another problem, and I'll deal with that then. Okay? But take it out into the lobby. Step into the reception room. Go out into the airlock there and, and discuss it and then come back in. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because just like I warned you with the kids, um, after I've made sure that everybody understands this, then I get to turn kind of mean. And I don't care who you are. Ask my father if I care who you are. We fear neither man nor beast, okay? And so if you're talking in prayer service, I'm going to come tap you on the shoulder and say, take it to the vestibule. Now, here's why. It's not so much me because I grew up with a man who was praying loud and bothered me and I couldn't hardly pray. So I know, how, I know how to cope with all kinds of noise and distractions and deal with it within a prayer service. I know how to do that, okay? But there are those of us that may not have the ability to do that. It may be a distraction and I don't want anybody staying home from prayer service because it's more conducive for them to pray alone than it is for them to join with us corporately. 
Now, I know some of you, when you do this, it may be kind of like the little kid who the parents look at him and say, tell your sibling that you're sorry, but can everybody in this house please say to everything I just said, amen. amen. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. And uh, we'll do better. And uh, those of you that may have been off put by a little bit of how our prayer service got a little out of control, come give us another try, all right, and help us get back to where we, where we need to be. And it's hard. This work that we're doing, this diversity of things is, is hard. It's not easy. We're going to bump along at times. We're going to have trouble at times, and that's where, uh, that's part of my job. That's part of my overseeing, and I hope that I carry that very lightly. I hope I don't lord that over you. Um, but at the same time, there are times where direction needs to occur in the house of God, and uh, so I'm giving you some there. All right, let me uh, set my watch real quick here because I do not want to go too long because I know what the preacher's preaching, and it looks pretty good. Um, so James chapter 4, I want to take your, turn your attention to James chapter 4, and, um, and before I read to you the, the, the text, there are uh, in books, if you read scholarly books in per in particular, there are, um, there are times that a scholar has a, has a short thought, and sometimes they'll put it back in what's called an appendices. Other times they'll put it in, in an excursus, and it'll even be tied to a chapter, but it's this little side note. And I really feel like what I have tonight is kind of a little side note. It's, it's not a full-blown sermon. It's not a major, major point, but it's a little side note, and it seems to be in keeping with where the Lord has been dealing with us. I so much appreciated. Uh, among other things, all of the props and all of the illustrations, and I already mentioned this morning some of the visuals that I got and, and was ministered to by Sister Rachel's message this morning, but I, I really was struck by hearing the voice of the Lord in her in saying that you rest when you're growing. And I had not thought of this year that we're in, the year of the Sabbath. I, I had thought of it more in terms of we've been working so hard and now we rest. But it really struck me, and I felt the Lord kind of prod me to say, yes, there is rest from, from labors that have been doing, but also there's some place that you're going, and there's some growth that needs to occur within each of you individually and within the church corporately. And there's no question that the environment of rest is the proper environment for growth, where your body is being nourished, where you're being fed, where you can rest well, where you can sleep, all of the nutrients, all of the things that are necessary for physical growth to occur. And I believe that what we're trying to do this year is provide that environment in which we spiritually have everything that is necessary for God to grow us. And I so appreciated that. And so in that vein, let me take you to something that I've been mulling around in my head a little bit. And again, it might not even be a full-fledged thought or a fully formed thought, but let me, let me give you an excursus, if you will. James chapter 4, verse 13, James writes, and he says, Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. And then he asks a question. He says, How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. Another way to put it is, is like the wisps of of a fire. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. Now, in correction to those who are saying, today or tomorrow, we are going to this certain town, we're going to stay there a year, here's our, here's our business plan, here's our strategy, here's our, here's our plan. He says, in contrast to that, what you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, 
we will live and do fill in the blank, this or that. We will go tomorrow or we will go today and we will go to this certain town. We'll stay there a year if the Lord wills. Otherwise, James says, you are boasting about your own pretentious plans. And here the NLT has, has added something because really all that the real text, the, the original text says is that otherwise you are boasting. And all such boasting is evil. Wow, James, way to put a fine point on this. I mean, really? And then he caps it off, and we use this verse all the time for all kinds of applications. Well, he's got it in relation to this. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not to do it. And I can tell you, most of the time that I use this verse, I don't use this verse in the context in which it's originally given. I use it in relation to all kinds of rule keeping, etc. James does not do that. He does it in relation to our attitude towards the will of the Lord. And so tonight, I want to just share a little bit, put up my title slide, if you will, and forgive the fonts here. They're a little wonky, but that's what Nicholas gave me, so I went with it. The will of the Lord, a proper perspective of life. And as I thought on this passage, it struck me that we have a really wonky view of the will of the Lord. We are, I won't even say almost, I will say we are downright superstitious about the will of the Lord. If we were not against voodoo and Ouija boards and, and, you know, crystal balls and all of those kinds of things and viewed them as demonic, we kind of do it that way. I've got to figure out what the will of the Lord is. I've got to understand, and he's got it laid out. He's got it perfectly picked out, and I've got to figure out what it is and get in alignment with it again so that my input <laughs> gets me the proper output. I don't think that's what James is dealing with here. It strikes me that what James is dealing with here is an acknowledgement that our life is a very small piece of a much larger picture. It's not us trying to find the will of the Lord. It's not us trying to line up with the will of the Lord so that we can get what we want. It's not even us understanding that his will is the best way to live and therefore we're going to line up to it. Rather, it is us recognizing that we have really shrunk a big picture. God is playing and painting and creating on a palette of thousands of years. And you and I are the paintbrushes, the pixels that don't even break typically a century. Now you can respond to this one of two ways. You can feel utterly depressed 
overwhelmed and insignificant. And there's some reality to that. David picks it up when he says, what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. But, but when I look at the heavens and I see all of the creation that you've made, I realize how utterly insignificant I am. And while that's true, you can respond to that feeling overwhelmed and depressed and unimportant. But there is an alternative. I don't like the alternative. I don't do the alternative very well. But the alternative is, is to recognize that I am a brushstroke in a master picture. I am a pixel in a high definition, high resolution work of art. I am one puff of smoke in the midst of a cloud of witnesses. And the only being who has the perspective to understand how I fit and therefore how I am significant is the God who's big enough to see the whole picture. I want value now. I want to see my place now. I want to see the whole picture now. And that's why there are times that I have plans because if I don't make those plans, what is the point of my life? How does it have significance? How does it have meaning? And so I'm shoehorning my less than 100 years into an improper place. I'm demanding that a massive thousands of years old picture, and who knows how far into the future it will go, I'm demanding that I can see that inside of 100 years. I love how we, we've been able to miniaturize technology and, and so there's little things and we have a program that the staff uses in trying to get stuff done. It's called Asana. It's a task management and project management program and we use it and, and I've had everybody put their picture up. But that picture is so dinky. You can see roughly who the person is but you don't see any details. I mean, if you don't look close, Russ even looks like he has a head of hair. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's really small. A much larger picture gets shoved down into this tiny little space, and the results are it doesn't work. Now, it works for the purposes of that program, but it does not work for getting an appreciation of whatever that picture was. And I wonder if the reason that I am so insistent, and I say I, you can take ownership if it applies to you as well. I wonder if I so strive to control life is because the only alternative is to trust that what on assessment at the end of a hundred years or even less looks fairly insignificant if I put it in proper perspective. 
fits in a much larger picture, but the only being who can see that is God. We like to look back. I'll use this example to perhaps portray it for you. We look back through the New Testament. We look back through the historical documents, even extra-biblical documents outside of the New Testament, and we look at those first hundred years of Christianity. And I can with certainty guarantee you that Paul had no clue. Paul was a big thinker. Paul was a motivated man. Paul had vision. Paul had courage. Paul liked to succeed. And if you don't believe me, go look at when he's not boasting. I can only imagine when he boasts. All that he's accomplished and all that he's achieved and all that he is. He was an achiever. He's somebody that wanted significance. And yet Christ called him to do something that I believe, if history tells us correctly, whenever the axe or the, the blade cut his neck from, cut his head from his body, severed his neck. I don't think he really knew for sure what had happened. And so I wonder if James is actually not so much concerned that every single time you make a plan <laughs> and decide that you're going to go someplace that you pronounce these formulaic words, if the Lord wills. And I wonder if what he's actually challenging is something more fundamental, something much more attitudinal. Do you not realize that your life is here and gone? And if you insist upon feeling and seeing and understanding the significance of your life in the bigger picture, you will have to shrink the bigger picture. So instead of that, find a way to acknowledge that there is a master plan, that there is a big picture and by faith we trust and we believe that we're in that picture and the significance of that picture is so immense that to even be a single pixel or a single brush stroke in that picture gives all the significance that any human being would ever need. Our human desire to see is going to make it hard for us to do this. Our human desire to figure out what is it I need to do to get what I want coming out. He's going to work against this. And yet I wonder if God is not challenging us through his brother, 
his human brother James, who's saying, look, when you don't acknowledge how very small your life is and turn to God for significance, you're pretentious. You're boasting. And in fact, if left unchecked, you're evil because you're demanding that something immense be distilled into something insignificant rather than something insignificant being included in something immense. You take a major work of art, you take a painting, you take a brushstroke out of it, it impacts the entire painting. You take a high definition, high resolution picture and you pull out some of the pixels, it affects it. In and of themselves, that brushstroke, those pixels are insignificant, they're small. Yet when coupled together, when joined together with all of the rest that's in that picture, together, what is stupendous and amazing and awe-inspiring is produced by all of those morning fogs, those puffs of smoke combined together in the hands of the Creator. Maybe I'm having a midlife crisis. It's possible. I'm at the middle of life. I got a lot behind me. I got a fair amount in front of me. But life's moving along. I have an executive pastor that's almost 50. And she's only a year or two older than me. So maybe I'm having a midlife crisis. Maybe I'm grappling for significance in life. But tonight I, I ask you to consider, is it possible that the will of the Lord our part in his plan is easier to fulfill than we think it is because it's only a brushstroke. It's simply a pixel. We can tell him no. We can refuse to submit. But it's really not that hard to tell him yes. It's really not that hard to go along with his plan. But it will require us to trust him. It will require us to let go of the control. It will require us, as James said it, to say, if the Lord wants 
then this will happen. Whatever the Lord wants, that's what's going to happen. And I'm okay with that because I want what the Lord wants. Would you stand?